Good morning. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Right. Happy New Year. It's a new year. I kept getting HNY text, and it took me about 45 minutes to figure out what that meant. Happy New Year. Shorthand for Happy New Year. I am proud of myself. I did not have to ask one of my kids. I figured it out on my own, which was quite an accomplishment for the new year. Thank you. I will take it. I will take it. Uh, I am so, so excited to start 2022. Right? 2021 was, let's just say, interesting to say the least. Man, it was filled with a lot of uncertainty. It was filled with a lot of confusion. But this led to a lot of self-reflection for a lot of people. Right? So, so much so that something called the Great Resignation took place in 2021. The Great Resignation. Right? And what this is, and some people say we're still in the middle of it right now. But what this is, is so many people resigned from their jobs because they started doing all this reflection and they decided to make major changes in their lives. Changing careers, changing locations, changing life rhythms in their life, um, realigning their priorities. And now more than ever in history, these changes caused massive amounts of changes in the workplace. People leaving their jobs. The great resignation. And I, like everyone else, did a ton of self-reflection this last year. Not so much about my calling as a pastor. Right? I didn't question that, but there was a lot of other things that as I looked at myself, what was going on. And it was really interesting because that reflection, I think when I look at it now, maybe provided me with more questions than answers. Right? Have you been there yourself when you start looking and you start coming up with more questions than answers? I had so many questions that I actually started separating them into categories, like my personal life and my family life and my ministry life and my vocational life. Right? And I know I'm a pastor, but there are some nuances between my vocation as a pastor and my ministry life. So I started looking at some of those things. Um, So it's just been a a really interesting to to do those. And as I tried to separate those into categories, one of the things that I realized is that there are some things I was questioning that affect every aspect of my life, every aspect of who I am, primarily my relationship with God. And if you are a Christian, you should have that same question, right? Because the truth is that if you're a Christian, your relationship with God is more than something that you do one hour a week, right? If that's all it is, then that's a ritual. It's not a relationship, right? But a relationship with God is something that we do all the time. Knowing and seeking God shapes our entire world view, right? How we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we define our mission or our purpose in life, how we prioritize our time all comes from our relationship with God. So that being said, church was one of those questions that affects every part of my life. The church and who we are as a community. And over the last year, COVID has given all of us, all of us the opportunity to really evaluate the role that church plays in our life. Right? How will we do church in the future? Have we been doing it right in the past? Have we not? How has it affected our life? And as a pastor, I have thought about the church. 
I have prayed about the church. I have pleaded before God about the church a lot, a lot, a lot of times over this last year. And I've looked at it as an individual. What does the church do for me in my life? And I looked at it as a pastor. What does the church do for the purpose that God has given us to make disciples in our community? So it's Calvary Church West Hills. How is the church impacting our community? How is the church being obedient to what God has called us to do? And this has been an interesting time because there's some people that believe that the online church is the new church. They believe that the online church is the new church and in-person church services may play a part, right? Probably an insignificant part in the church in the future. And then there's others that say, oh, no, 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 we're going back to normal, right? There's no, the the in-person service, that's not going to happen. We're going to remain in person and we're going to do church the way that we've always done it. And that should probably scare you because given the opportunity to leave the church, over 50% of the people did. And studies are showing that 30% of those people that left are never coming back to the church again. Right? The unit that I went to combat with where people shot at us had a higher percentage of people go back than people coming back to the church. Like that doesn't sound healthy. Doesn't sound like that's the bride that Christ died for. So I would say that during this year, the church is something we should reevaluate, right? That is something that we should look at. We should look at that in our lives. What is the church? Is it simply just an inconvenience in our lives that we can do without? Or does it play an important part in our life that helps us accomplish the mission that God has given us? Does it play a mission in what God has given the church in our community, in our community, accomplishing his mission? So that's what we're going to look at. And for the next three weeks, we are going to look at the church, and we're going to look at the importance of the church. And for the next three weeks, this first week, we're going to look at church and me as the individual. What does it mean for me as, a, as an individual? And the next week, we're going to look at church and us. What is us, and what's our role to the church, and what's our responsibility to the church? And then the last week, we're going to look at church and the community. What's the role of the church in the community, and how do we do that? And this has been something that's been on my heart for a while, and I'm going to be really, really honest with you, this is not something I wanted to deliver during COVID. This was not a study that I wanted to talk about at this time. I begged God to remove it from my heart until everything was settled down, until maybe we went back to normal, whatever normal was going to look like. Maybe we could just wait until then, God. But the truth is now more than ever, we need the church, right? The body needs the church. And as we face uncertainty, as many people have isolated themselves, not just physically, but spiritually, right? Our hearts are crying out for the church, and we may not even know it, right? Our hearts are crying out for the church, and we are slowly suffocating ourselves. We don't even realize how much we need the church. So here we are in the middle of COVID, 1st of January, and we're going to look at the church. And to help us to answer this first question about the church, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at this passage, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And what's interesting, actually, about this chapter is it's kind of a summary of the entire letter of Hebrews. Right? In this verse, 19 through 21, the author briefly summarizes our position in Christ, and he tells us two super important truths. One, we can be confident in the saving work of Jesus Christ. We don't have to question if the work that he did on the cross was good enough or was worth it. We know without a shadow of a doubt that Christ saved us. And the second truth that it tells us is that God is forever faithful. 
No matter what we are going for, no matter what's going on in our lives, God is 100% of the time always faithful. And then in verses 22 to 25, we're given these three exhortations, right? These three encouragements that the author gives us. And what they are is they tell us how these truths play out in our lives. How we should respond to these truths. And we're going to focus on the last of those three, which deals with the role of the church in our lives. But this passage is a single sentence in the original Greek that it was written in. Right? And so I didn't want to take something out of context. And so we're going to put everything into context as we read this. But also, those encouragements, they're just good for the soul. So we're going to talk about those first two and just bring some joy to our life. But we're going to focus on the third one. And so why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles and read with me again. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 22. A little, or excuse me, 19 through 25. A little hint as we go through He begins each of the encouragements. He begins each of the exhortations with let us. Right, let us. So let's go ahead and if you've got your Bibles, begin with me reading in chapter uh, 10, verse 19 of Hebrews. It says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In these verses, we should be encouraged as we learn how we should live out these truths, how we should live out these promises, not only in relation to God, but in relation to others, in relation to the church. And so we see one of the major roles that the church should play in our lives. So let's begin with the first let us, the first encouragement, the first exhortation, and it's let us draw near to God. And as we read Hebrews throughout the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, we learn that if we trusted in the work of Christ, we are found righteous before God for all time because God has chosen to place our sins on his son. We call this the great exchange, our sins for his righteousness. That's a pretty good deal on our side. Right? We give our sins and we get his righteousness. It is because of Christ's work that we can draw near to God. Not because of anything that we did. Right? Hallelujah. Because most of us look at our lives and say, well, that's not good enough. That's, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have, it's not good enough. Scripture tells you it's not. But what Jesus did was good enough. We don't have to second guess it. So we can be confident that we will be found righteous before God when we go before him because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. So when we approach his throne, we can do it with confidence. Right? We're not only really called we are welcomed at his throne we can go before his throne and we can come before confidence when we pray we can go before the throne with confidence when we worship we can go before the throne in confidence when we have broken hearts we can go before the throne when we are broken and know that we are welcome there that we can draw near to god when we are before him and it's all because of christ's work on the cross that we can draw near to him 
We can draw near to him at anywhere and any place. We have nothing to fear and nothing to doubt. As sons and daughters of the king, we are not only called to, we are welcome to draw near to our heavenly father. There is no matter that would stop us from coming. There is no mess that we have created that is worse than his grace. There is no, you know your life. Right? Think of all the bad things, and I'm going to tell you right now, his grace and his love is greater than all of them put together. His love and grace is greater, and it was proven on the cross and the empty grave. You are welcomed before the Father. The second truth that we get is that we should hold fast to this faith. We are to be faithful to Christ because he is faithful to us. It says this, that let us hold fast the confessions of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And the use of that present tense, it tells the audience that we're to cling to, that we're to hold on to this faith. Faith, it's a continuing action. It's something that we keep doing. We won't stop and then do it again and then let go and then do it again. No, no, no. It's something that we hold on to all the time. During the good times, during the bad times, during the rocky times, during the ugly times, during the uncertain times, we can cling to our faith. The believer here is, he's challenged to hold on to the faith. He's challenged to believe the promises of God which are grounded in the person and the work of Christ. No matter what you are facing in life at this present time, God is faithful. No matter what you are facing, you need to remember that God has gotten you through the toughest times in your life. That's why you're here today. God has been with you. God has walked with you. And whatever you have faced, the ugliest things you have faced in the past, God has gotten you through. And he is faithful to get you through these. He is with you. And he is faithful all the time. Now, before we move on, just reflect on those two things. Right? That God's work on the cross was enough. You are welcome to draw near to, the, to God because of his work on the cross. And that he is faithful to always be with you. Right? We can draw near to the creator of the universe. And not only do we, can we, he desires for us to. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And then we can also have faith that every single one of his promises will come true. Every single word that he has spoken will come true. He will be with us. He will comfort us. He will heal us. He will 100% completely restore us. And one day, we will reflect his glory perfectly back to him. As we stand in the presence of God and sing, holy, holy, holy. As we worship before our king, we will reflect his glory. 2,000 years ago, the author of Hebrews, he was reassuring new Christians of these same beautiful truths. Right, these same things that many of us struggle with today, remember that the reason for the book of Hebrews, it was written to encourage the Jewish Christians, these ones that were new to their faith. It was encouraging them to press on in their faith in the midst of not only government persecution, but also pressures from their own communities. Right? Their Jewish friends were trying to persuade them that Jesus wasn't sufficient. He's not good enough by himself. There's other things that you got to do, like faith alone in Christ is way too easy. We get that stuck in our heads. We get stuck of all the things that we need to do. We're just like them. What about all the family traditions? We've been doing this for years. We've got to add those to our faith. What about the social norms? What about like 
what you wear, what are your clothes you wear, what does that matter? What, what about what you eat? What about your occupation? What about wearing masks or getting vaccines? Like these all factor somehow into your relationship with Christ. That's not true. But we allow all those things to pile on and to pile on and to pile on. And, and just like today, there was great pressure and confusion. There was even false information amongst the believers about what it took to be a believer. So before we move on, this is what we need to remember. There's one thing we need to remember, Jesus. Right? We just remember Jesus, that he came for you, that he lived for you, that he died for you, that he is king, that he is victorious, right? that he is enough. Right? All of our answered prayers are found in Jesus. He is enough. And as one of my pastor friends, Trey, he always says this, Jesus is just better. Right? No matter what you're thinking, just remember Jesus is better. What a good thought to put in your head as you're going through the day and you get tempted or you're struggling with things or you're, you're trying to pick Jesus over. Hey, Jesus is better. That is the truth that we should just pound into our head. But the question, church, is what about those times? Right? What about those times when we don't believe that? What about those times that we don't feel that? What about those times we start to question the truths of Scripture? What about the time that our hearts are broken and we're not so confident of the Scripture or the promises of God anymore? And this is where we find the final encouragement that we're going to focus on. This is the heart of our text today, and it's found in our final let us. It's found in the final encouragement of this passage and this is an encouragement that is told to the church. It's given to the church. Right? It's found in verses 24 and 25. Like, let, let us consider one another. Right? The author of Hebrews, he tells us, and let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I want you to look at this, and one of the things you probably won't realize unless you have unless you're like a Bible nerd and you got like all these scholars, but the, the main verb here is consider. And that's not what we think of when we read this. Right? It's not consider how to love each other with good works. That would be biblical, but that's not what this text says. It reads a little bit different. It would read like this, and let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. And so what the author is saying here, what the church should do is we ought to consider the others in our church in everything. We have to think about the other people and we got to consider ways to protect them and consider ways to encourage and to build them up, to help other church members to love God, to help other ch church members to love others, to help other ch church members reflect the love of Christ in their works and in their deeds, to encourage them and to hold them accountable. But what I want to do this morning is I want to turn that around. I want to turn that around. What if we, right, what if you as the individual, you're the one that needs help, right? You're the one that needs to be protected. You're the one that needs encouragement. What if that is you? What if you're the one drowning in your discouragement and you're lost in confusion? What if you are the one that needs your heart stirred for the love of Christ, that you need to be reminded of his faithfulness, that you need to be reignited for love for Christ? What if that is you? What if you are the one that needs the church. So how is the church to encourage us? How is the church to play that role? And in verse 25, the author gives us two ways that the church is to fulfill this great task. 
right? The first is that we must gather together. And we're warned not to neglect meeting together, not as is the habit of some. So you've got to ask your question, why, why did these Hebrew Christians, why did these early Christians stop meeting together? And if you continue to read this chapter, the author informs us that these believers were facing severe pressure to turn away from their faith. Right, it's in 34 and 35, you could look at that. But many of them were suffering persecution. Some had been thrown in prison. Others had had their property confiscated. Others had lost their jobs. And these believers were facing this spiritual crisis in their life. And from a human perspective, these early believers had a really, really good reason to skip out on church. The truth is, people have always had a thousand reasons to stay away from the church. COVID has just made it easier by giving you a generally accepted reason by society standards to not come to church. This is not a new problem, right? The early church had a fall off in attendance due to persecution, apostasy, and arrogance, and and, and incompetence. And today, persecution may not be our experience, but people find many other reasons not to gather, not to come together as a body. We skip church because of football, because of shopping, because of sleeping in, because I just don't feel like coming. If I say laziness, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's called laziness. Right? And there's a, there's a ton of other things, a ton of other reasons that we give for not coming to church. Right? We are guilty of all these things, of indifference, of fear, of ignorance, of busyness, just plain self-centeredness. There's a thousand reasons. I go on and on and on about why people don't come to church. Yet, the encouragement remains. Yet, it's in Scripture. Do not neglect assembling together. God knows we need the church. It is for our benefit. God is not more holy. God is not greater. God doesn't have a good day because you come to church. God knows that we need the church. And this is what is interesting is that the author of Hebrews, he uses this word that's translated neglect. He uses it one other place in scripture. It's found in in this letter. It's found in Hebrews 13.5. And he's quoting the Lord. And it says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor neglect you. Even though believers forsake God, even though believers neglect his bride, he refuses to forsake us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Right? Even when we mess everything up, God is still faithful. And that is true, but I am very, very confident to this day that it grieves the heart of God when we neglect his bride. Right, you want to you, you grieve a husband, man, you neglect, you forsake, you do something to the bride that he loves that is not pleasant. Man, that, that breaks my heart more than if you do something to me. But the point is this, church. Don't miss the point on this. The, the point is not that attending church makes you as a Christian. That's simply not true. The point is that attending church is what Christians do. Right? It demonstrates that the spirit of Christ is in us and therefore we desire to be with Christ's people. We desire to be with the body. And if we look at history and we even look at today, the truth is that de-churched Christians are an irregular, irregularity. They don't happen. It's not the common thing. 
Christians find local bodies. Christians' hearts desire to be with the local body. And there's always reasons why we can't join. And there's actually some good explanations on why you can't maybe be with the body sometimes. But most Christians find a local body to be a part of because being with other followers of Christ is our heart's desire to to worship. So here's the question that we need to ask. Is church a priority or just simply a possibility in your life? And here's what I mean by this. That's not a famous thing. I actually made that up because of my own life situation. Right? When Melissa and I were dating, she would always say, hey, here's a plan, here's a plan, here's a plan, here, let's do this. And I would say, maybe. Right? It's a possibility, we'll see. And after a long time of this, she finally said to me, why, why don't you ever to commit? Why don't you ever make a priority for one of these events in your life? And here's my answer. This, I told my girlfriend this, my wife now. Well, just in case something better comes up. Right? Like, I don't want to be a liar. So I just said, oh, possibly, you know, maybe. But here's the truth, church. If you've got something better to do than gather with the local body of believers to worship the God who created you, to worship the God who breathes life into your lungs now and forever, to worship the God who hung the stars and the moon and the sky, to worship the God who sent his son to die for you so you could stand in his glory one time, to worship the God who traded your sins for his righteousness, by all means, go do it. Like, tell us what that is, right? If there's something, I want to know. But if there's something more important than that, if there's something that's a higher priority in your life, by all means, you should go do it. Absolutely, 100%. Go do it. So the, the question is, do you have an excuse or an explanation for not attending church? Do you have an excuse or explanation for not engaging with the body of Christ? I got a whole bunch of these examples, but I, I don't need to go through them. You know what they are. You know what an excuse is. You know what an explanation is. If you got a health issue, right, you have a compromised immune system, be responsible. Right? We love you. We want you to stay healthy. Joe Brown, stay at home, man. I get calls from Joe Brown, and I just talked to him last week, and his heart is dying because he's separated from the body. He's got a compromised immune system. Joe, we want you healthy, brother. Right? That's, that is a good explanation, not to be gathered with the body right now. And this is why I'm on this point. I want to get this out of the way. If you're sick, don't come right? I, I'm not just talking about COVID, because I don't want COVID. I don't want the flu. I don't want cold. I don't want the runny snot thing that your kids have coming out of your face. I don't want any of that. Like, stay home. We want, we want you to get healthy and keep that stuff at home, right? We love you guys, right? Online service, man, that's a tool for the church. It's not to replace the church, right? If you're sick, if you're out of town, if you're out of town, you want to worship with the body, all means, get online and worship with your church family, Right? But that is not a substitute for the gathering of the saints and worshiping their God. The second way that this passage tells us that we can spiritually provoke, right? we can spiritually motivate love and good works to our fellow church members is we can encourage one another. Verse 25 reads, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right? This word translated encourage communicates the idea of one person standing alongside another and giving appropriate advice in an appropriate way to help, right? To help them along, to get them moving, to keep them on track, right? Hold them accountable to encourage them as they move. It simply means to inspire someone else with 
courage. Encourage. So we're going to inspire somebody, right? Courage is the spiritual strength to persevere in the face of difficulty. So we're to encourage. We're to inspire them to keep walking, right? So encourage someone who is to support that person with the spiritual strength to persevere in whatever they're going through in life. Whatever situation, whatever challenge they are facing as the church, we're to come along and encourage, to inspire them, to keep them moving forward. Right? And encouragement could be all sorts of things. It could be just a, a gentle word. Right? When somebody's going through a crisis, one of the greatest ways of encouragement is simply your presence. To just be there and sit with them. And there are so many times of people going through a crisis in their life, whether it's a disaster, or a natural disaster, whether it's the loss of a loved one, they have no idea what I said to them. But they knew that I was there. Right? And that encouraged them. So we can do that. Right? It, it, sometimes it may just be a good kick in the, the rear end. Right? Like you need to stop what you're doing and fix yourself. Be careful who you talk to. Right? It's always done alongside. It's not condescending. We're not talking down to people. Right? Just remember that how you uh, deliver that encouragement is not as important as how that encouragement is received. <laughs> Right? In communication, there's delivery and there's receiving, and we want to encourage, so we need to make sure that we're aware of how that encouragement is received. I learned this the hard way when Melissa and I, we would train and work out for the Marine Corps half marathon. And so I was in the Marines at the time, so there's a way that I encouraged people. And I remember that as we are actually doing the race, we're not even training anymore, we are in the race. And Melissa was like, I can't do this, I'm going to die. No, you're not. You're fine. Everything's good. Just keep going. No, you don't understand. I am going to die. Listen, stop it. Just embrace the suck. This is awesome. This is what we do. This is so fun. Get moving, girl. Let's go. And she's like, I am going to die. And I said, no, you're not. And she says, how did you know? Because yeah, you're still talking. If you were really going to die, you wouldn't be talking right now. Right? And I got this crazy look from my wife, and she started walking. So it didn't work the way as well as it does for Marines, but I tried. Right? So how it's received is important. In Calvary Church, let me be really, really honest right now. There are m- much of you, much of you at home, much of you here with us today that need encouragers, that need encouragement in your life. Right? People that will consider you, and that they will know how to encourage you through this time that you are going through. Right? You may not be facing severe trials that the Hebrew Christians were facing. You may not be getting ready to be murdered or killed or killed for a game. But many in our church family, many in our body are discouraged because of many other struggles in their lives. Right? Maybe it's marital conflicts. Maybe it's heartaches over rebellious or maybe spiritually indifferent children in our lives. Maybe it's a loss of job or reduced income. Maybe it's a health problem in your own life. Maybe it's a health problem in the life of your family. Maybe you're still struggling with some past failures and past mistakes. There's many people in this church right now that are wondering, does God want to hear from me? Does God want me to draw near to him? Is God really going to do those things that he promised? Is he really going to do those things for me? And church, that's why we need the church. Right, that's why we need the church to encourage us. That's why I need the church. That's why you need the church, that we can encourage others to draw near to God, that we can remember his faithfulness. Right, and when that is us, there is nothing else in this world we need besides the church. 
When we start to question who God is, when we start to question the promises of Jesus, we start to question the love of Jesus. We need the church to encourage us and to remind us of his love, to remind us of his faithfulness. That's why we need the church. And earlier in this letter, this author, he wrote these words, he said, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. Right? It's talked about encouraging every day, but there's another thing right there. Our hearts would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? Left to ourselves, man, we start to believe the lies. We start to be deceived by sin. We start to fall away from our creator. And it leaves us prone to discouragement. Right? When we try to run the race by ourselves, we get tired and it leads to weariness. And we are all prone to believe the lies that we hear on TV. We're really prone to hear the lies that we tell ourselves when we're left alone. We just start believing every single one of them. And we all need to be encouraged of the love and the saving grace of Jesus. That's why we need the church. Right? And someone's asked about the points of this message. I'm going to give you point one. We need the church. Point two, we need the church. Point three, we need the church. So if you're taking notes, there's all three points. You need the church. Again, if we go back to Scripture, we look at verse 25, it goes on to say this, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right, the closer we get to Christ's coming, the more we should be getting together. Right? The more that that day is coming, the more we should be getting together and worshiping and celebrating. The problem is many Christians are doing the opposite. Many Christians are going away. Right? They have it backwards, and the closer we get to Christ's coming, the less we get together. Right? The more excuses we have for this other things. We start making all these excuses. But one of our strongest motivations for our faithfulness is the promised return of Jesus Christ. That we would come together as a body and worship him. Right? And so as I just went over, there's one sentence that describes this message today. You need the church. Right? If you write down nothing else, you just write in your Bible, I need the church. Right? You need the church to help keep you on track. You need the church to help you uh, uh, hold you accountable. You need the church to care for you during disasters in your life. You need the church to encourage you to make sure that you keep walking the right way, that you keep following Jesus. Church, you don't need the church to get saved, but you do need it to make sure that you're living like you're saved. Right? That you got friends that will be honest with you. You got friends that will speak truth to you. You got iron that sharpens iron. Like we love saying that. We hate going through the process, but man, we love saying it. Right, that's the body of the church, man. Iron sharpens iron, man. That's, if you can't mess up here, you can't mess up anywhere. Right? And this is what we got friends for, man, that love us, that want us to be like Jesus. Right? We all know how screwed up we are. That's the beauty of the church. And then we come together and we love and we encourage and we support and we help us get back on track. We help us follow Jesus. Right? Today, you might be thinking, well, I don't need the church. I'm good. Well, if you're a Christian, that's the very first sign that you need the church, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you love Jesus, and you're thinking, well, I don't need the church, I'm good, you're missing the point, right? You need to get back in church now. You're starting to believe the lies. Here's the deal. If you don't think you need the church now, I promise you, you will need the church later, right? The Christian walk is a long walk, right? Some of us try to treat it like a sprint, but it is a long walk, and one thing that we have learned is that when Christians run into a crisis, they need two things. Man, they need their Bible, and they need their church. 
Right? When they run into a heartache, when they run into a problem that they can't handle, they need their Bible and they need their church. I've seen so many people drop out of church only to return in their time of need. They faced a problem, they faced a difficulty, they faced a situation, they faced a heartbreak that they couldn't handle by themselves. So where do they go? They go to the church. Unless your church is in a military town, then when you're going to move, you go to the church and you find people to help you move. People in military town got that. Here's the deal. Man, when you run into a heartache you can't handle, you need your Bible, you need your church. Marathon runners, they used to tell me this, and, and trust me, they told me because I would never run a marathon. It's not good for your legs, I'm sure, right? <laughs> but they used to tell me that their fans, they, they would encourage them, and they would provide food and drinks throughout the course of the race. And typically, most supporters place themselves around the 25-mile mark because that's where runners hit what they call the wall. They hit that thing where they just want to give up. They just want to be done. They're ready just to throw in the towel and say, yeah, I ran 25 miles. I'm good. I'm going to just quit. You're crazy, but I'm just going to quit right here. And when these fans, right, when these supporters, when these encouragers see their family member or their friend, they start yelling out their name, right, when they see them coming to view, and they, they wave to them, and they provide them with drinks and food, and they yell at encouragements at them, right, just a little bit further. You're almost done. You're 25 miles into it. You can do this. Come on, right, keep going. You're almost there, right? You can do this. And it's in that encouragement, right, that smile from maybe their child, Maybe it's their, their spouse slapping them on the back, saying, man, you got this. Maybe it's a friend that's just giving them their water, but that enables those marathons to push through, to finish the course, to, to, to live a life well lived, right? To finish the race. And church, we're all running the marathon, right? When we are following Jesus, we are all running the marathon, man. We are running it together. We are running a marathon. And I don't need to tell you this. You already know this. Sometimes it's difficult, Sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes we want to just give in and give up. Sometimes we, we try to convince ourselves, it ain't worth it. Right? Jesus is better. We say that when things are going well. Right? But he is. Right? We want to give up, and it's in those moments that we need our brothers and our sisters. It's in those moments that we need the church that will help us to press on and to finish our race. Man, God uses our fellow brothers and sisters to give us staying power. And you need the church. You need the church. One of the, best, one of the best parts about Sunday morning when we gather, I shouldn't say this as a pastor, but it's when I shut up, right? We close in song and everybody stays around and checks on each other and talks to each other and has felt, gosh, man, when you're a parent and you see your kids getting along, you're like, this is amazing. <laughs> How did this happen? Right? And you God sees his family, right? We're considering one another. We're encouraging one another. How can I be praying for you? How did I do this? What's going on? What's going on? How can I, how can I help you? How can I support you? Right? That's the church. Man, there's, I don't remember the number, man. There's a 82, 52, depending on who you read, one another's in the Bible, man. And the church is where we get to do those things, right? We get to love one another, care for one another, minister to one another, bear each other's burdens. Right? This is where we do this in the church, and it's in the end, God will not allow believers to be satisfied apart from the local church. He won't allow you to be a lone ranger Christian. What is that? Right? We, I remember we had the, the missionary come in, and, and there were people out in the tribe. They had this dream. You know what the first thing they, they did? They went and found a group of believers. Right? I need some friends. I need some fellowship. I need some people to help me walk this life that I had this dream about. Right? Believers are not satisfied when we're apart from the local church, when we're not gathering 
You, you want to know why? Because he designed this local church. He designed us, the body, to encourage one another, to support one another, to, to gather together, right? God knows you need the church. He made it for you. The bride of Christ is here to support and to encourage you, but get this, right? You're not the end state, to encourage you to love, do good works, and glorify God, right? God is the end state of the church. We'll talk about this later. I don't want some people walking around here thinking that you're greater than God. That ain't the truth, right? God loves you, and he created the church to support you and to encourage you, to help you love, to help you do good deeds, so he is glorified, right? So he is glorified. Man, church, write it down. Some of you, I'm taking note all day. 